that in coaching, we say that you either attack, suffer, or quit. And something that I want to make clear to the listeners is that you don't have to be one or the other of these things. You can have tendencies in all of these different areas, depending on the situation. So an example could be if you've had tough relationships in the past and a romantic relationship makes you feel unsafe, when things go wrong or there's conflict, you might break up very quickly and you're like, oh, I don't feel safe. I'm out of here. I'm going to cut and run as quick as I can before I get hurt. Welcome to the Me Search Podcast, where we have conversations with people who are living out their passion and striving for excellence. And hopefully, these conversations will give you some sort of insight into what it takes to be a high performer. And that can be in any domain, whether it's sports or relationships or or work experience. So this week, I'm really excited to introduce you to one of my good friends and that I very much look up to and admire. Uh, Jackie Gervin or Jackie Power is a PSO, which is my occupation, a personal selection officer in the Canadian Armed Forces. And she has accomplished so much throughout her 16-year career. So from graduating from RMC and, and holding a very high-ranking position at RMC as an officer cadet, to becoming um, a SISM athlete as a fencer. Jackie has recently become a life coach. I shouldn't say recently, actually. It's been a couple years now. Um, And she is just someone who is always looking to better herself and better those around her. So I met Jackie on our PCEL occupation training about six years ago now, maybe going on seven, I'm not sure. So I'll never forget, we were doing a tour around the school that we are going to be spending the next couple months. And I was walking behind Jackie and she was wearing maternity combat. So there was like a little bow in the back. And I remember thinking, one, how cute of a pregnant lady she was. And also I was like, man, I hope I become friends with this girl. So um, I just loved how confident she was, how she presented herself and she was asking really intelligent questions. You could tell when people spoke, she was really listening. Uh, And then as luck would have it, her room would actually be beside mine. And I would very quickly learn, you know, how generous, kind, empathetic, and intelligent she is. She is a high performer and honestly, probably one of the smartest people I know But she just has so much patience for everyone. And I love being around her. I love speaking with her. I love learning from her. And I just, I really hope that you enjoy the conversation. You can check her out at, she has a website, coachjackiepower.com. And I just think she has so much to give. And I really appreciate her time in spending with me uh, while we did this conversation together. Okay, uh, so let's jump right in. And then as always, just stick around. After the conversation with Jackie, I'll just have some closing thoughts. Okay, so 
super awkward to now like hi <laughs> <laughs> so um jackie or we know each other actually for probably six years now yeah it's been a while yeah so um so thank you so much for doing this i've actually I, this is also something i said to adam before getting on i was like i'm really nervous to talk to jackie because you like fire on all cylinders and i'm like kind of nervous i'm not going to keep up with you <laughs> as if megan so I was like mentally preparing before this. I was like, I can have an intellectual conversation with Jackie. Like I can do oh, it. As if you are running an incredible business. And I just want to take a minute to acknowledge you so much for this beautiful way that you have interwoven your specialties and your knowledge. And you have found such a really cool niche and gap in the market of this sports psych and mobility work. And you're just the best person to do this. So I'm not surprised that you're so successful. Um, that's very kind. I do feel like it's very niche. Uh, and so, yeah, slow growth, but it's okay. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to talk about myself because that makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but I know we will maybe a little bit later. But what I wanted to start with was basically what I start with everyone that I've done so far is sort of looking back before we go forward um, and really talking about, you know, where you are today. And I know you, you are doing a lot of really interesting things. So I do want to talk about that. But the first question I like to pose to sort of set the tone is, um, so if you, your life was a book uh, in each phase or different section of your life was a different chapter. If you had to think of your very first chapter of your life, what would you name that chapter and why i would call it dirt poor <laughs> <laughs> and the, the reason why is because my mom was 16 when she had my twin sister and i so a teenager with two kids uh and my father wasn't around um so we really relied on family and basement apartment to high-rise apartment to store top apartment just wandering kind of all around um toronto uh, with, you know, minimal amounts of food and just enough clothes to get by. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I I have a similar, my, my family didn't grow up super well off, but I don't think I realized at the time how poor we were. Did you yeah, have no. any I idea until later? No, I was happy. Like, I liked my childhood. I had lots of friends. I liked my family. They were around a lot. But I think when I realized that I remember once in grade five, we got a microwave and I went to a friend at school. I was like, we got a microwave. And she just looked at me like, so, and I was like, oh, not everyone has a microwave. And we never had a washer and dryer in our house. We always had like one of those metal buggies and like garbage bags. And we would like cart our laundry up to the Danforth to do like coin laundry. Um, so I think when I realized that other people had laundry in their house, these are the kind of things that I picked up on. And then we never had a car, but it was Toronto. So we took public transit. Yeah, um, you can get everywhere in Toronto. Not most people can take advantage of not having to have a car there. Um, but I think when I saw other families hop in a car to drive places, and I was like, "Huh, there, there are signals." <laughs> but and I didn't do you, realize. You do your you and your sister talk about that now? Like, do you both sort of have the same realizations about what your childhood was like? And yeah, totally. And especially me, I, I'm a parent now, um, and I just think about what my kids have in comparison to what I had. Like, I my kids going to school in September. I'm like, Oh, I want to make for like nice lunches and like a nice lunch box with a nice lunch bag. And like, I didn't have nice lunches. Like yeah. I didn't have a lunch kind of thing. So yeah. yeah, we kind of joke about it now, but I mean, it's all good. Like, you know, it all works out and we're all okay. And life's okay. I mean, it's Canada. 
Yeah. It wasn't, and it was like it through high school. Was it like that? Or when did, when did a shift sort of start to. Yeah. My mom met um, a man uh, that came from a wealthy family and then we moved when I was 10. So that's when I got introduced to having a car in the house. That's when we got the microwave. That's when we had the washer and dryer. And then we would kind of go to nice dinners at his family's home and family events and stuff like that. So that's when the shift happened, I would say. And what was your, what was your relationship like with your mom? Like, obviously she was probably working, I would imagine. Or how did you and your sister sort of navigate that? Yeah. Yeah. My mom was cool. So we had a really good daycare. Um, and a nice subsidized daycare. So my mom was super resourceful. So we always had swing lessons. We were always able to get like a scholastic book order. I don't know how she paid for it, but she kind of prioritized cool things for us. Yeah. And we always, you know, school was really important. Like if you were too sick to go to school, you were too sick to do anything. So if we were sick from school, we weren't allowed to go out in the evening with our friends and play. Yeah. Um, she was tough on us too. Like she kind of said that she felt like the world was expecting us to fail because she was 16 and had these little kids and, right. you know, family members had made some negative comments and it was like, you know, well, you made your bed, you have to lay in it kind of like this harsh pragmatic attitude. Yeah. Um, so she was kind of like the mom that was like, if we didn't get a hundred on something, it was like, okay, well, why not? Like, where's yeah. your, where are your missed points, which kind of led to some perfectionism and some, you know, a fickle esteem, but we've worked through that as well. Um, but I'm really grateful now that she was so hard on us. I think it was a blessing. And I and I want to be the same way with my kids, uh, maybe with a little bit more love, but with expectation and a push. Right. And how do you think that, I don't want to say hardship, but the lessons or the what you went through as a, as a kid and as a teenager, how do you think you've carried that through now as who you are as a person? And, and obviously you've accomplished a lot of really amazing things, but can you sort of connect the dots of like, whether it's perseverance or resilience or whatever it is that sort of has brought you to where you are today? Yeah. Well, you're the same way. Like I would just call it like pure grit sometimes um, and conditioning. So I think you're the same. Like I always had to have a part-time job. I always played a sport and I always had to do well in school. So when you're used to juggling all those things, like I remember in high school, I would go to the library at lunch to do my homework because I had to work after school or I had like swim practice and then I went to work. So when you have to sacrifice like lunch hour and there were some lunch hours I went and hung out with my friends and it was fun. We would go to McDonald's or like whatever, like teenagers do. But for the most part, I really had to kind of watch how I use my time. Um, And it's, it's all about like what you're willing to sacrifice, like same with fitness, same with your big goals. Like, what are you willing to give up? So for me, it was a bit of social time. Um, and still to this day, like I really enjoy working and I don't mind balancing having two kids working full time and then having my side business. It's really fun for me. Yeah. And when did you decide that the military was going to be something that you wanted to pursue? Yeah. So thinking, you know, playing with this poor theme, um, I had no money for school. And then, you know, surprisingly my parents, like my mom and her husband at the time made too much money for me to qualify for any OSAP. But they didn't have anything saved for me. And I had a younger brother and sister. So I just felt like I had no resources. Yeah. Um, And the military offered, you know, a free undergraduate degree. So that's really what led me to it. But I mean, it was the best thing I ever did. Like most of the great things in my life have come from being in the military. So it's a great kind of twist of fate for me. What what degree did you get at RMC? Um, honor psychology. Oh, you did get honors. Okay. Cause you didn't start out as a PSO. You no, I was a logistics officer. Okay. Did, um, sorry, just out of curiosity, did you ever think that was PSO ever on the table for you? 
always, I always wanted PSO, oh. but it was never available. And then I remember having a CO too, be like, no, you need to get out there. You need to lead, you need to deploy. Like you need to do real army stuff. Like don't change to PSO. And I was like, okay. Cause I was like 20 and I didn't know what I was doing, but I think it's always been in my heart and my, you know, my mind that this is where I should really be. Right. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I, did, I didn't know that because I know, yeah, I knew you started out in something else, but then just as I was thinking, I was like, oh, did you get a waiver to come over? But you had the right education right from the, right from the get-go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you think that your childhood and how you grew up led you to have an interest in psychology, like sort of understanding or what, what do you think that drew you to psychology? Yeah, I think just the study of human beings and why people are the way that they are. I've always been very social and gregarious and, and a true empath. I've always been a little bit of a sensitive kid. Um, so it's not surprising. And, you know, if you look up any literature on nature versus nurture, even the most recent stuff and the meta analyses, we're finding that nature and nurture is still 50, 50. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's still kind of a, a mix of, you know, you are who you are genetically predisposed to be, but then you also have some environmental factors that sneak yeah. in there. But I think when I think back to being like a little kid when I was eight, I've always had an interest in other people and, and been empathetic. Um, but speaking of nature and nurture, it's very interesting because you and your sister being twins, identical twins, uh, are very different. You so think? it's like, yeah. I think, well, I mean, I don't know your sister that well. I do follow her on social media, um, <laughs> but you've taken very, like she started out in the military as well. And you've sort of taken different, you're both very smart. You both are very accomplished. Um, but maybe, maybe I am mistaken in thinking your personalities are a little, a little different. No, we're different. She, so I feel bad to say this and she hates us, but we were always known as like the good twin, bad twin. And she was like the bad twin for years, but she's just like, was always a little more tougher or like a little more rough. Like she was a, always a bit smarter than me, always a bit better at sports, um, always a little faster and then always fought a little harder. Um, yeah. And she's a lawyer now and she's a litigator and it's like the perfect place for her. Like this personality that just gets to like run off in court and just like do her thing. But ever since, I think she was like in grade 10 and a teacher said to her, like, you'd make a good lawyer one day. Oh, wow. And that, that got stuck with her and she did law in her undergrad and then was in the military for a bunch of years and then got out to go to law school. And now she works, you know, she's a Bay Street lawyer and she's just rocking it. Yeah. But it yeah. is interesting that you two, I mean, had the, had pretty much the same upbringing, you know what I mean? Like the, the nurture of your, of your mom and how you've taken really different life paths because I mean the military for me is different from anything it's it's not for everyone one um and it's honestly different from anything I have ever experienced yeah I remember I reading your blog when you were on basic and my sister told me about you actually this was before we worked together and met and I just loved it because it was just about you know I'm this yogi psych master's girl in this basic training like what am I doing yeah um and just kind of this existential crisis kind of bit but you you were so great didn't you like rock like some PT record or something uh yeah maybe but I <laughs> but I do remember that blog because something I'll never forget from basic training is one of he he's now an uh infantry officer and I remember it like it was yesterday he he asked me he was like why are you always crying <laughs> because I'm tired and I'm cold and I'm upset and I hate it here and but I just remember him like straight up asking me because I every Sunday 
you like before you know you're like going out in the field or before you know you know you've sort of had your weekend off and then you have to go back to everything I call it the dread (laughs) the dread sinks in yeah and I would like have these meltdowns I would just be like oh my god I don't want to do it again I don't want to go into the field like I'm gonna work in an office like but um yeah Yeah. I was definitely I just want to, I want to normalize that. Like, I think a lot of people feel that way, especially in a basic training context, when you lose so much autonomy and free time and control over your life. Um, Yeah, I was, I was the same way, but I remember just feeling like, like, I have to do this to get my university paid for. I have to do this to get my university paid for. And do I think it was like the right fit for me to be like army-ish? No, not necessarily, but it was kind of a means to an end in a way. And I would call home my mom and she'd be like, well, this is what you have to do. Like, you know, suck it up kind of mentality, which, yeah. <laughs> which was tough, but I never felt, I didn't feel like quitting or going home was an option. Like I didn't have anywhere to go to. Right. Um, and I do want, I actually, am going to set you up. I do want to talk about some of some research that you looked into um, and, and really how your childhood um, and, and basically your, I guess your coping mechanisms essentially led you to deal with stress in your own, in your own way. And we started talking about the fight, fight or flight. um, I think in a conversation a little while ago, and I think this is really interesting because it's, it's sort of been flipped on its head in a sense that it used to be thought that fight or flight, like this was, this was the way that humans dealt yeah. with stress. Yeah. And actually the first time I read this article or for, I think the first time I someone posted on Facebook, I was like, bullshit, like, I don't believe this. And then I started reading the article and I was like, oh yeah, okay, maybe there's something to this. Um, but I know, <laughs> but I know you are really well versed in sort of the, the theory behind these stress responses. And I was hoping that you could not only just tie into your childhood and how you dealt with stress and how um, your, I guess, you being a part of a single mom family, how that, how you've identified where you sort of lie on that spectrum. Yeah, totally. Um, So first I'll get into the, the basics of it. So you can think of fight or flight as stress response. Some people call it a trauma response. In some places, it's called a trauma typology or the four trauma personality types, whatever you want to call it. But these things are human. So it doesn't matter if you're male, female, or identify as differently. It doesn't matter if you're part of a different culture or a different ethnicity or you live somewhere else. This is a human construct. So there's four apps now. So I think a lot of people commonly know of fight or flight. Yeah. But there's also freeze. And now this new one that kind of came on the scene in the last few years is fawn. So I want to explain it kind of in a uh, kind of psychish way, but then I want to explain it in a funny way. So <laughs> your flight response could be people who always have like a foot out the door. Like I'm getting out of here. I feel threatened. I'm going to run. Um, a fight response could be someone that has like angry outbursts. They might be controlling or like bullying. They might have explosive behaviors or they might even just like fight back with like an action plan. Um, freeze could be someone who kind of has a difficulty making decisions. They kind of get stuck. They disassociate, they go numb. Maybe someone that, that sleeps a lot. Um, I've seen that before um, where people just kind of try to sleep the day away and that's their way of coping. Where Fawn, the new one on the street, these are your people pleasers. So these are people who have, kind of have a lack of identity. They don't really know healthy boundaries. They get overwhelmed easily and they have a lot of codependency. So they fawn over someone and try to ingratiate themselves to them to try to feel safe. Right. So a funny or an easy way to put it is like fight is like attack the tiger. 
if a tiger is trying to eat you. Yeah. Flight is you're going to run from the tiger. Freeze is you're going to stay still and hide from the tiger and roll up in a ball and just stay there and hope it goes away. And fawn is you're going to convince the tiger not to eat you and you're going to pet that tiger and you're going to compliment that tiger and you're going to try to make that tiger like you so that you can yeah. be safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've heard, I, and I don't know if this is true or not, I haven't looked into it, but maybe you can speak to it, that the fawn not only is also more common in women because you're more likely to sort of get people around you and make friends so then in in that case you could uh fight like scare off the tiger because you have this like company with you that Mm -hmm. I don't know if that the mama bear kind of response yeah yeah so you and I was just hiking this last weekend and there was um a couple of grizzly grizzly bears in um on the trail and there's a group ahead of us that, that there was about eight of them all together but apparently two or two girls were out in front um and they sort of walk around this corner and these this grizzly bears there with her two cubs and the first thing they did was they ran back to the group and then they made a big circle and then they just like they sort of packed together so cool. they they were more intimidating so um so in my, like a beyonce I, like a get yeah. in formation yeah <laughs> yeah but I, th- but I do really like that you made that differentiation between the three because the first thought in my mind when I read it was maybe this is our stress responses or how we deal with threats now. But what I was having a hard time initially understanding was how that was our like paleolithic response because I'm like, well, like how are you going to befriend when you're faced with a saber tooth tiger, but I, but the freeze actually is the first time I've, I've really thought about that. And then, yeah, the fawn, um, I can see how it, it has come through like evolutionary psychology where at first, when I first read it, I was like, this is just pop psychology. Like us now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well in different terms. So in, so I'm a, I'm a certified life coach. So we don't pretend to be psychologists. We don't pretend to be therapists. We don't throw around psychological terms and clinical expressions. Again, in coaching, we say that you either attack, suffer, or quit. And something that I want to make clear to the listeners is that you don't have to be one or the other of these things. You can have tendencies in all of these different areas, depending on the situation. So an example could be if you've had tough relationships in the past and a romantic relationship makes you feel unsafe, when things go wrong or there's conflict, you might break up very quickly and you're like, oh, I don't feel safe. I'm out of here. I'm going to cut and run as quick as I can before I get hurt. So that's just an example. So yeah, anyone listening, I would invite them to just take a minute to think like, hmm, do I attack? Do I suffer or do I quit when I don't feel um, safe? So have you ever heard um, that saying, how you do anything is how you do everything? Oh, yes. That's such a good one. It's so, so true. So so what are your thoughts? Like, so let's say I like, yeah, you don't want to sort of lump people in buckets saying like you're this or you're that. But would you agree or disagree that if you have a tendency to, let's say, flee in relationships, uh, maybe you flee in work context uh, or you flee when things are uncomfortable, would you say that that could be true or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it all depends on the person, the situation, but I think we're all just made up of these patterns. We all have patterns yeah. that play out over and over in our minds. So it could be like, you know, when I feel that I'm not doing well at work and I feel like I'm going to get fired, I start looking for jobs already before yeah. 
and maybe my boss is is happy with me and hasn't even thought about me for two weeks, mm-hmm. but I have this in my mind that like, I need to get out of here because I'm not safe. Right. So yeah, I think for some people, they're stronger than others. Um, but yeah, just like knowing what your patterns are. And we kind of have this funny joke in coaching. It's like, how are you today? And you're like, well, I'm in a good spot on my pattern today. Because, <laughs> you know, it can be good. Like, yeah, like one of my patterns is I get really excited. I take on a lot of work because I'm excited and I want to do it. And then I'm like, ooh, I don't have any time for fitness. And I am like eating out a lot. And like, I'd really like to go to bed early. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not taking on anything else. I'm going to wind things down. And then the next time something fun comes up, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in. And then I play out this pattern. So I would say that like, I'm an attacker. Like I attack my life with either a plan, with vigor, with hard work. Like this is how I get things done. Um, But sometimes, you know, we take a step back and we're like, okay, well, is this serving us? Like, is this still working for me? Like I just had my second kid. Um, I want to make sure my marriage is good. I have this business to run now. So perhaps me taking things on and just attacking it with pure grit is not going to work for me anymore. Right. And do you think that that comes from childhood? Like I know, um, I was talking to one of my friends actually on the podcast, I think it was Jamie. And he was like, there becomes a point where you like, you can't blame your parents anymore. You can't blame your childhood anymore. And I agree with that to an extent, (laughs) but you can't blame obviously. But do you think that these patterns, these, you know, that you're an attacker, this was formed and something that you've done your whole life? Or is this something that maybe the military, uh, you know, drove into you? Or, you know, does that make, does that question make yeah, sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think the word blame can have such like a negative connotation or like a harshness, but the word that I like to use is like, it informs, like your family of origin informs so much of what you do. Your indoctrination and your conditioning through your life informs so much of who you are. But some pieces in psychology that I don't love are things like, you know, past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. Yeah, yeah. Because that totally strips the person of the opportunity for transformation or the opportunity to do things differently. Yeah. Um, And I don't believe that people are set in their ways. I think that we can invite people to a whole new possibility of how they can operate. Yeah. And we can take a look at our strategies and our defense mechanisms and how we're operating and be like, huh, how else could I handle this in a way that serves me better and helps me get toward my future goals? Yeah. Uh, versus like, well, this is just the way I am. My parents made me like this. I'm super self-aware. And like, I know I'm a quitter. That's just who I am. Okay, yeah. great. Self-awareness is awesome. But then what do you want to do with that self-awareness? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's something that like the, the past behavior predicts future behavior. I first heard that actually in the PCL branch. So our, our branch. Um, and it's something that I hear very often in a branch. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then again, I don't, I hate to refer to it, another podcast, but I was talking to one of my friends, Alicia, and she just flipped that on its head for me. Like who she was growing up is entirely like she, her whole life isn't, has gone in a totally different trajectory that I, I don't think her past behavior would have predicted like she's done. So I think I've had a big shift over that recently, but to your point, it's like, yeah, okay. If, if we just think this is how we are and how we're going to be like, it's sort of this mindset of mediocrity in the sense that you're never really like striving to that next level because like, well, this is me just stuck in my story. Yeah. It's stagnation. And I think even a common um, thing that happens to high performers is that we all get to a certain place in our lives. We're like, okay, we got the career. Now we got some pats on the back. That's successful. We have our kids, we have our marriage. Like 
we have made it, but then we stop asking ourselves how we can continue to grow or how we can continue to learn and explore ourselves. So like, I'm sure there's ways that your leadership can develop and change. I'm sure there's a depth in your relationship with your partner that could be explored. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's a, some learning that could be done, whether it's academic or through travel or whatever, like there's so much growth to be had. So yeah. just like that constant pursuit of growth, I wouldn't even call it self-betterment because you're already great. You know, you're already wonderful, but it's, yeah, yeah. you know, how do we, how do we like make those gifts really shine? Yeah. In coaching, do they, do they say, and I could be, I, I have, I'm not informed on this, so I actually don't know, but you know how there's a saying, it's like, you are you're like, it's, it's an unraveling of who you are, or I always think of. I don't know if it was like Michelangelo or there was a statue it's where he knew what was under it. It was like just his job to sort of chisel out that cool. sort of masterpiece. Is that, is that correct in thinking that's like a coaching? Yeah, we have so many. So p- part of um, actually on the international coaching federation, the ICF on the list of core competencies, part of that is offering visuals or analogies or stories that help guide the conversation. Yeah. So one of my favorite ones is unpacking the suitcase. Because I'm sure you've heard the, the phrase uh, baggage, like everyone has some baggage. So you think yeah. about like this suitcase, this baggage that you carry around with you your whole life. And then, you know, in coaching, I'm like, hey, like, let's, let's unpack this. Like, let's get it all out on the bed and let's look at all the clothes and all the toiletries and all the crap. And you get to decide what you want to put back on, put back into this suitcase and re- totally reframe and regenerate the baggage that you're carrying with you yeah in your life so that's my favorite little yeah yeah no I, I I like that for sure um okay I do want to talk about I know I just sort of segued into it but before we really jump into coaching and sort of your life now I don't I just want to quickly circle back um to... <laughs> you're the circle back girl <laughs> yeah I, I have that COVID meme my I husband's a circle back guy. I, I do say it as a joke, but um, <laughs> on the how you sort of have been like an attacker through your life, and um, I mean a big part of of mindset and mobility, and what I'm interested in is in in sports. And I know you've had a very successful career um, as a fencer, which is not a sport I think a lot of people can be good at. Um, <laughs> but really, like how that uh, response or how that has allowed you to take sports to the next level or how that sort of shaped you as an athlete I don't know if that yeah I know there's such a parallel there I can't wait to tell you about it (laughs) um so I joined the team we had tryouts and I'm the type I was the type of person that what I lacked in skill I made up for with aggression have you seen that before like when someone's not that good but they just dummy people on the field that's me okay like elbow (laughs) so we had like this tryout my fencing coach talks about it to this day she's been my coach for 16 years and she was just like you just came in we're like this tall bulldozer person like knocking everyone over and I was like we need we need her so I mean it's a little bit embarrassing for me now and I think I've learned like a lot of grace and more um elegance like within and more sportsmanship yeah within the sport but um so I attacked like the practice with like full force like full fight response like I didn't know what I was doing so I was just gonna like fight it out to the death, like to get a spot on the team. Um, but then I wasn't very good in my first year. And I remember like they could pick one of the first years to be like the fourth, like for the, the OUA championships, like the, like, the university um, championships. And I didn't get picked and I was devastated. Like I sat on the sideline. I think I like baked cookies for the team. And I was like, F this, like, I'm not a cookie baker. And I think I like went 
I didn't, I think I went home in tears, but like I would go home and lay in my bed every night and I would like visualize. I know I sound a little bit like a little bit neurotic here, but visualization is huge in sport, right? Yeah. And I would start to visualize and I was like, I need to get better. I need to get better. And I started taking my practices so differently. So instead of being caught up in what I wasn't doing, I took like a really analytical approach to everything that I was being taught, everything that other people were doing. I'd be like, okay, stop, wait, what did you just do there that you hit me? And they're like, okay, well, I did this. I'd be like, okay, what do I have to do differently? Right. And I really like lean on my teammates to kind of show me. And my coaches were amazing too. So I think I kind of fought with aggression and then fought with like effort and attitude and like devotion to the sport to be yeah. like, I don't, I do not want to suck at this. Like, I don't want to be the last picked yeah. on this team. Um, and then I started to have some success after that. Like when I really put my head down and got into it. Would you say that was the first time in your life that you felt like really felt like you failed at something? Like, was that? Because I mean, yeah, yeah you're like good at school, you, you know what I mean? You're a high performer everywhere else. And then that would have been, so that's university OUA. So that would have been the first time you're like, oh, wow. Like I'm, I'm no, like I'm not, a, yeah, I'm no asset to this team. Like I'm a, li- <laughs> I'm a liability right now and I, <laughs> I need to make this better. But I think that shows, I mean, going back to like grit and resilience and, and the ability to not just run away from something but to actually like go at it head on and then go on to be as you know successful as you've been yeah, well, um, thank you yeah I think that's a great example of like a, a flight response so someone who didn't feel good in that moment could have been like you know I'm just gonna quit this isn't for me I'm gonna focus right. on school and I don't want to be a varsity athlete anymore yeah um, where a fawn, maybe the person would have been happy to bake cookies and be the be the fifth person on the yeah, team. Yeah, like bring everybody together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. There's a place for everybody. There's a wonderful place for everybody, but it wasn't for me. Oh, all right. Okay. So, um, okay. I'm, we have about half an hour left. So I was hoping that you could really talk about, I know you've talked a little bit about what coaching is and how you don't use psychological terms, but even something that I struggle with because I, I, I have done my master's in like sports psychology, but I'm not a psychologist and how people really confuse psychology with coaching and even some of the, the negative connotations that go along with being a coach. And I know I said this earlier, but I think when it first came out, because it's fairly new ish, like it wasn't regulated, like I think psychology is. Um, And even if you could speak to um, maybe the snobbery of academic, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and but what coaching brings to the table, if that, if that, yeah, sense. totally, totally. So yeah, it's an unregulated profession so far. The closest thing that we have to a governing body is the International Coaches Federation. So if qualifications are really important to you and you're looking to become a coach or to hire a coach, just check their website and ask them what their credentials are. And you might want someone who's credentialed at a certain level or a certain amount of experience. Um, I'm trained by accomplishment coaching, which was a year long program. It was a close to $20,000 investment. And that included one weekend a month, like nine to five on zoom. Plus you got your own coach that you met with once a week. Plus they gave you guest clients and you had to go out and get your own clients, um, to practice on. Plus there was book reading. You had to submit recorded sessions for them to evaluate. Um, there was movies to watch and then there's monthly practice areas. So the whole premise of the training is that like you as a coach need to be committed to doing your own work and and growing yourself and that we're all kind of on the same journey, but as a coach, you're just a little, a little further ahead on the path. Yeah. So really like leading by example. And that's one thing I love about coaching as opposed to therapy, because 
I'm not sure therapists are committed to doing their own work. I think I'm sure every therapist has a therapist, just like every coach has a coach. But the relationship in therapy is very much like almost like an authority figure or like a subject matter expert who's telling you certain things about yourself, where a coach is a partnership. It's a 50-50 relationship where we're asking questions that perhaps neither of us know the answer to, but we're exploring it in a forward-moving way. Um, I think counseling and therapy is fantastic and it's clinical. So it's really for people who have mental illnesses. They have certain disorders, learning disabilities. They're not coping well in their day-to-day life because of depression, anxiety, marital strife, whatever's going on. And that's really when their expertise and their education should be leveraged. Yeah. But as a coach, I work with people who are healthy, complete, and full, and they're ready to move forward. So I might have some clients who have depression and they work with a therapist for that, but at the same time, they are still looking at building a business and they need some support around the launch and money and, you know, having the confidence to put themselves out in the world. Yeah. So it can be a two pronged approach, Um, but I want to explain it more methodically. So, you know, in therapy, the focus is on healing pain, dysfunction and conflict, and it examines the past. The outcome of therapy often includes an improved emotional state and the therapist is the expert. Where coaching is forward moving and future focused, it's a partnership between the coach and the client. And the focus is on action, accountability, and follow through. And clients get actionable strategies for achieving specific goals. So the outcome is goal attainment. And thus you feel a better emotional state because you've achieved your goals. Right. Um, And then I just want to throw in there like a consultant is an expert in a specific area who takes an objective look at a situation or a problem and then they tell the client how to fix it. Right. So as a coach, I don't give advice. I don't tell people how to do anything. I just reflect things back to them and ask them good questions. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. So um, I just have a few thoughts on that because there are a lot of parallels with, uh, I guess, my training. There, There isn't really a proper term for it, but mostly you'll say like mental performance consultant, but you are giving, you know, you're giving exercises, you're giving activities, you're giving research, you're giving all these ideas, but how I explain it to people, which I think is similar to coaching is that if you have like a line of, you know, what is normal and I I, normal, whatever that really means, but this, Mm -hmm. and then like psychology or clinical psychology takes someone below the line and brings them back to it and mental performance consulting takes someone from the line and takes them like above it cool thank you for that Megan yeah dealing with you know the and I I mean for someone who has been to a psychologist I I see the value uh but I was definitely so far below the line that I just needed to get back to a baseline whatever that baseline is for people um so I so I feel like that's really similar with, uh, I guess, counseling or being a consultant and being a coach. Yeah, that's such a good analogy. I'm going to lock that in forever. (laughs) And again, like, it's all about just like using the expertise of the therapist for what it's meant for. Like, I don't know if a trained therapist is the right person to talk to about um, your daily life and your time management. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, And actually, uh, this is a question I don't actually know the answer to. But how did you get into coaching? Like, You've, are, you've always been in, into psychology. I know that your PSO, it's very much the baseline of what we do, but where did, where did coaching come in and, and how did you decide like, this is what I wanted, this is what I want to pursue? Yeah. You know what happened? So I have a, I have a disabled daughter and I love the military, but I think when you have kids, especially kids with exceptionalities, you realize that the military might not always be there for you. It might not always be the best place for you and your family. 
because of postings, because of deployments, whatever. And I was like, I need some flexibility. And I think I always wanted to be a therapist. I always wanted to counsel or be a social worker or something in that realm. But I realized that I couldn't finish the master's in counseling while I was in the military. So I was like, what can I do right now? That's kind of like lower gradient. It's affordable. I can pay for it out of my own pocket and I can do like on my, my spare time. So I found a coaching course in Montreal. It was over a weekend. Um, and I just went and went for it. Um, and I just thought it'd be cool experience. Like as a PSO, even when you're doing like career counseling, just to have that in my back pocket. And I just fell in love with it. And then I started practicing in the evenings at my kitchen table, like all my cousins and my husband and family and friends. Um, and then I hired my own coach for seven months. And then that's when I really knew that I wanted to go for it. And I did my own training. Um, and then I launched my business after that. Uh, so you took the plunge into the certificate before having a coach yourself. Yeah, I, I was so new to the coaching world. I didn't even know. Like, and, and the, the first course I did wasn't even certified by the ICF because I didn't even know about credentialing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just didn't take the time. I was like, what's 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 easy? Like, what's in Montreal? What's the dates I'm available? What's affordable? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but I really learned how important it is to be part of a good program. Yeah. Um, not just because of the credential. I honestly don't even care about the credential. And I'll be honest, I've coached over 25 people now. And I think only one person has asked me what my qualifications were. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be that important. Right. That's, um, that's a big, uh, even just for me, I'm, that's something I chase the credentials, but so that, that was going to be my next question is like for you being, you know, as, um, obviously intelligent and you have background in schooling, was it hard to do something where the, maybe you didn't have the, the recognized credentials or, um, and and I guess I do say like the snobbery, a snobbery of uh, academia, academia, where it's like, like life coaching is sort of looked down upon. And I could be that could be a total just my own perception of how I've experienced it. Um, but did, was that something that you struggled to get over? Or was it just like, whatever, I like this, like, let's move on? Yeah, I still struggle with it. And even when I look at like raising my prices, I'm like, well, I can't until my master's is done. And like, I can't be, you know, a thought leader until I have my PhD. And yeah, you know, like I definitely feel though those things are important. Um, but that's just my ego talking. And when I really bring it back down to basics, it's all just about serving the client the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if they don't care, and you just feel a good connection to the person and you feel trust and safety with them, then I think that's what's most important. And I think for all coaches and probably NPCs as well, is that your clients come from word of mouth referrals. It's very rare that I get a client like from the Instagram space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we are going to do an exercise. (laughs) I have no idea what it is. I I have somewhat of an idea. Uh, and it's basically you are going to give a quick reader's digest version of really what a coaching session with you would be like. Um, two things I just want to highlight here from a coaching perspective is that um, typically coaches don't coach family or friends. We're doing it in this forum just for right. the sake of uh, the benefit of the listeners. So yeah. thank you for, <laughs> for this. As well, confidentiality is super, super important. Um, and everything that we discuss um, has been agreed upon. So I just want to confirm with everyone, Megan, you are okay to talk yeah, about yeah, this yeah. stuff. With as your uncomfortable podcast as listeners. I seem, we talk about this <laughs> and I do it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that consent. I just want to make sure. 
Okay, Megan, do you have a pen and piece of paper in front of you? Uh, yes, I do. I'm actually super nervous, but um, what makes you nervous about this? Um, that I'm I'm not gonna I don't know I'm gonna not have the right answers. <laughs> not gonna have the right answers. And if you had the right answers, what would that give you? Uh, it would validate my need to be smart. <laughs> Your need to be smart. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm ready for All you. right. This is related. Okay, so I want you to draw a triangle, please, on your piece of paper. If someone's listening to this, could they, is this yeah. easy for them to do at the same time? Absolutely. Okay. So, so an equilateral that. triangle in the middle of the page. Okay. On the bottom left corner, you're going to call it triggers. Now, triggers is kind of a clinical term that's used for people that have traumatic, um, a traumatic history or PTSD. But we're going to use this term just kind of in the sense of like things that invoke evoke a strong negative or positive emotion or response in you okay negative negative or positive yeah good or bad okay so triggers at the top of the triangle you're gonna title that fears okay okay and i'm not talking about i'm afraid of heights i'm afraid of spiders Mm -hmm. i'm talking about that kind of devil on your shoulder that's told you that you weren't good enough you weren't smart enough Yeah, yeah like a fear that you live with forever so an example of this could be someone that's 60 years old and they remember being like in grade two classroom and the teacher was asking for a show of hands to answer a question and they thought don't pick me don't pick me don't pick me because they have they have a fear of not having the right answer yeah yeah okay so real fears and then the bottom right triangle is your self-defense mechanisms which we've already talked about so your fight flight freeze or fawn Mm -hmm. or attack suffer quit however you identify so self-defense Okay, Megan. So if I were to ask you, like, what are some things that really trigger something in you, like that invoke a response? So an example of this could be like, my husband's always late for someone. Um, yeah, let's see. Lateness doesn't bother me. Um, something that, re- uh, it's funny because with the word trigger to me, I immediately think negative. So I'll try to come up with something positive. But the immediately, the immediately I'm thinking negative. Um, and it really triggers me when I feel like someone is, for lack of a better term, like mansplain or like okay. mansplaining something to me. Okay. Um, mansplaining. I, like, I get it. I know. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I would say that, that's something, um, something that invokes a positive emotion. Uh, does, and does it have to be a behavior of someone else or does it? No, it, it could action? be like, you know, my, my boss, my boss gave me like a thumbs up on a project. So that was pretty cool. Oh, I do like to be acknowledged. <laughs> acknowledged, acknowledge that work. Yeah. Okay. But I do, it doesn't need to be like a pub. I don't want a public acknowledgement, but if someone just like are, are recognized, maybe that would be a better term um, because it doesn't, it's not like it needs to be announced, but it's just like, they don't, and they don't even need to really tell me, I guess, but it just the fact that, that someone's like, oh, like, I know that Megan's working hard. Like I, like that it doesn't, it, and it just like comes up naturally. I would say. Okay. So here that is like recognized effort. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you for that. (laughs) Um, And if you're open to moving on um, fears, what are some fears that, that live with you? So Um, probably lots. Let me see if I could just narrow down a few. Um, 
I honestly, and I know we talked about this, I think earlier, I definitely have a fear of uh, not being good enough. And specifically, I would say not being smart enough. Um, I definitely have a fear that people will think I'm a fraud. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. I don't need to list all my problems. Okay. So people think I'm a fraud. I'm not good enough and not smart enough. Yeah. Yeah. I call that kind of never enoughness. Yeah. You live with like this rain cloud of never enoughness following you around. Um, and then for you as a self-defense response, like, let's say you're triggered, like someone mansplains you, it brings up this fear of like, okay, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Like obviously this person's mansplaining me if they think that I'm not, yeah, you know, up to snuff here. Um, I'm, what not that fighter, I'm not an attacker. Not a fighter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like a Zen yoga lady. Um, I would say I'm probably, um, uh, either a flight or a freeze and freeze uh, the, when you're like, um, like for example, if I have a really bad day or I'm really upset, I will go to bed. like that's sort of how I I will deal with that in the moment though um like that's I guess the aftermath of how I deal with it um obviously if you're at work you can't just like but I'll just sort of um like I I won't challenge it I'll just just let it be let it be so by letting it be was that would that be like just walk away or do you just like zone out or how does that look for you um I wouldn't say I zone out. I think I would just, I just like take it and then go home and sleep later. Mm, okay. Take it and sleep. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. So there's a saying that, you know, we humans are meaning making machines. So when someone does something that triggers us or bothers us, we make it mean something about us. So an example of this for you could be, you know, someone's mansplaining to me and I'm going to make that mean that I'm not good enough and I'm not smart enough. Yeah, And then I'm going to have this flight response where I like, just like, let it be, ugh, whatever. And I'm going to go home and sleep and yeah. then I'm going to free, freeze it off. And like, tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. Okay. So we call this construct, this kind of triangle, this cycle of events between trigger fears and self-defense response or self-defense mechanisms. Um, this is all your survival mechanism. And this is how you have learned to protect yourself in a sense. Um, so it's all about learning to differentiate yourself from this cycle, because if you continue to live your life in this pattern of being triggered, your fears popping up and going into a self-defense response, yeah. you're never really living true to who you actually are and what you actually believe and feel and think because you're caught up in your ego. Right. So the point of doing this activity is just to bring some awareness to this pattern and how it shows up for you in your life and how maybe external factors have been driving your well-being yeah and to bring you back to who you truly are so Megan we did a second activity that you had filled out before which is character strengths yeah I yeah. love those that that website by the way um, yeah the I think it's BIA yeah yeah so for the listeners it's www.biainstitute.org and they have a free survey on there that only takes about 10 minutes. It's no cost. Um, I already said that. It's a free survey. Free <laughs> survey. It only takes 10 minutes. And you do a profile about your top character strengths. And there's 24 of them in the profile. So, Megan, do you recall what your top four were? Oh, my gosh. No. I have them. I have okay. them. If you don't. Okay. 
<laughs> so Megan, lovely Megan, you had humility, love of learning, perspective, and social intelligence. Okay. That's so funny. I um I did that, I think I told you, I did that as part of a a ma- like the a leadership program. Um, and I'm sure I had to write about it, but I haven't honestly really looked at the report until you said it. Um, it's funny. I I said humility and then I'm like, I want to be recognized. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, but so I'm kind of picking up on a context context of like either, or, so it's like, I can be someone who likes to be recognized or I'm someone who has humility. Yeah. 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 Where the duality of those things is totally normal and human. Yeah. And, and welcome and encouraged. Okay. So if we look at humility, Megan, as it relates to your fear of not being good enough, how can you use the strength of your humility to quell that fear? So, I mean, kind of what you just said is um, that I'm just human. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, I'm uh, human. and uh yeah I don't I don't honestly I I I don't know okay I'm human <laughs> no that's that's powerful thank you so I might ask you this might be an easier parallel to draw when we look at you know I'm not smart enough and people will think I'm a fraud one of your character strengths is love of learning so how can love of learning quell this fear of not being smart enough? Oh, God. I mean, I think just the fact that I do love learning, um, I mean, taking it from the the perspective of just being open to um, not having all the answers and not feeling like I yeah, I have to have everything sorted out because if you come from a place of loving learning, it's okay if you're not smart enough because. Yeah, (laughs) yes, that's the money right there. So this is what we kind of call coming back to your being. So like recognizing when you might be caught up in this fear triangle and living within your ego and not really being yourself and then being like, wait a second, I have humility. I love to learn. What do I actually really think and feel? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I think about a lot and um is is this like concept of fear of other people's opinions. Uh and I and it's funny because I don't in one sense I don't really care like what people say about my life, but at the other time at the, in the same sense um there are there are people probably in my more inner circle that I do really care um, about having, or people, yeah, people that I respect or people, you know, that I look up to. Um, but for the most part, you know, I could care less what the, what the majority is thinking. Um, but I do, but it it is frustrating to think like that fear of people's opinions or, um, fear of not fitting in or whatever it is guides so many of my actions. Um, but yeah, anyways, it's obviously something I'm very aware of. Yeah. And a very human, I think I've, I really felt the same way, especially with both of us. We have ourselves so out there right now with these side hustle businesses that we're running. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of vulnerability exhaustion and a lot of exposure, right? Um, yeah. Even with doing this podcast, I just really acknowledge you for your courage, for really going for it. 
That's very nice. Yeah, it is tough. That I can't even count the amount of times where I have like where I've written something, and I express myself best, I think, through writing. But I've written something for you know a blog post or just a social media post, and then I've just deleted the whole thing just because I'm like, mm, like no, that I don't want to have to deal with like the backlash of that, or I don't like want this person to read it, and then I'll just put like an emoji of like a bicep flexing and like a trophy. But <laughs> <Just> like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll have like, oh. or, but yeah, so it is, it is yeah. tough because yeah. you have to like find balance between putting yourself out there. But then, I, and I think it's a Brene Brown saying, it's like, tell your story to those who deserve to hear it or who have earned the right to hear it. I don't know, yeah. something along those lines. I was just going to quote her as well and asked if you followed her stuff because she's got this really great piece about criticism and she says you should care what people think but only certain people you should care what the people who are down in the arena fighting the same fight as you who are dirty and sweaty and bloody and full of tears those are the people who you care what they think so I think about that all the time even as a parent um you know I, I care what people think of my parenting but unless they have a special needs kid and they're living the life that I'm living you know, I'm sorry, it's just not relevant. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean that in a hostile or defensive way. It's just, I don't think about it. Yeah. And same with my business and coaching. You know, if the person doesn't know anything about coaching, has never had a coach, they're not into it. They've never even looked into it, but they're like, really? And I did have a friend be like, what? Like, how, what are your qualifications? Like, who would pay for that? Um, but I just realized, you know, people who aren't informed about it or aren't, you know, committed to their own growth, um, that just says more about what they're dealing with in their life. And I say that with empathy and love, you know, the fact that maybe you wouldn't pay to invest in yourself in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really on that, I, I, I don't know who said this, but it's like what people say about you says more about them than it does about you like that sort of mentality. Um, yeah, it is, but it's so hard. It's so easy to talk myself through that. Um, but it's so hard to really like embody it. And and kind of just like, just piggybacking on what you just said, like, this isn't about being like a superhuman who never gets triggered and never has like an ego flare up. This is just about noticing what your brain does and how you operate and bringing yourself back and bringing yourself back and bringing yourself back. And, you know, maybe in years to come after so much practice and flexing that muscle, it gets a little easier and we get a little more zen. Um, But we're all human. And this is how we physiologically and biologically function. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's so much like, I again, like sports consulting or mental performance consultant, it, everything starts with awareness. But it's just so interesting to me, and something that I obviously struggle with, and, and I see people struggle with is like, taking that step from awareness into change, and how hard that is. It just and a really easy example is just like people with food, you know what I mean? Like, I know I'm aware that eating, you know, a bag of chips or whatever isn't good, but it's like that taking that next step to actually do something about it um, is so challenging to actually change behavior and change, you know, the way that we've been doing things our our entire life. Totally. Well, and I think that's why we both have jobs in this this realm because people need help with that accountability and putting a plan together so coaching I'm not sure what MPC work is like but it's all about having um we call it a project it's like a project designed for your future so we are always pushing along towards your projects and we're coaching to obstacles that come up 
Because some people don't come in with obstacles. They're like, yeah, my life's pretty great. I just want to start a business. But then, oops, all of a sudden, you know, three weeks in, there's a massive flare up with imposter syndrome and, you know, one negative review and it throws them into a spin. And then we coach to that. Um, And we keep moving forward inch by inch. And it's all about, you know, what are you willing to commit to this week? What intention are you willing to set to support you on this? Okay, well, I'm willing to do A, B, and C. Okay, can I hold you accountable to that? I'm going to follow up with you on Wednesday by text, and I'm going to ask you if it's done yet. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of service that a coach can provide. Yeah. But in my um, school of coaching, it's the ontological perspective, and that is the study of your way of being. So we complement an action plan. So like the tactical, like, okay, I'm going to lose like 30 pounds by December 1st, like whatever it is. Sure, that's your action plan. Cool, we'll hold you to that. But let's look at your way of being. How are you being when you're around food? Yeah. How are you being when panic arises? How are you being when you are triggered emotionally? And we really unpack that suitcase and yeah. try to figure out what's really going on. So it's a parallel approach that's quite effective. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, have you ever heard of uh, Baron Baptiste Yoga? No, I haven't. You probably really like it. It was power yoga, but he has a very life coachy way of teaching and that's what he says it's like not it's not about what you're saying it's about how you're being and I remember I went to one of their teacher trainings and on the they like give out shirts um and it said I'm pretty sure it was like speak all the time sometimes even with words and it's like it's constantly it's constantly talking about like who you are showing up as a person and even actually I thought of it when you like the, the story versus fact, he used, he would bring someone up to the very front of the room and he, they would go through this really traumatic story with them. Um, and some of the stories were very traumatic with people like abusive relationships. And he would have two circles on the, on this like little whiteboard and he'd be like, okay, is that a fact or is that like your perception, perception. or part of the story? Yeah. And then it would be like, she would describe the room okay like that's a fact but then everything else that she had created again about this very traumatic story was like the other the other circle was like story 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 like Uh, perception so so when you yeah when you start being able to separate the two of them it becomes very apparent you know whether you call it your ego or your fears or it was that something else is sort of leading the way. Um, I just, I just really struggle with like taking that the next step after awareness and not being caught with like paralysis by analysis. Mm. Uh, We're overthinking things. Yeah. I'm just wondering for you, like, do you have projects in mind for your life? Like do you have certain goals laid out or certain places that you want to be at certain times? Is that clear for you? You know, I, I like go, I'm very, very goal orientated. I'm very checklist. I'm very, I'm very like segmented like that. Um, but I, I would say in, in recent years, I've, I've struggled with like the five year, 10 year, I have some like big, hairy, audacious goals, as they say in my mind. Um, but, but I haven't like worked backwards to really, um, really section it out but I do remember actually I because I had a life a life coach I, I don't know what you call him I, I believe he's a life coach when I was in um Victoria and he did this elevator exercise or, or oh yeah 
thesis bias, maybe it was. Anyways, it was very powerful for me. And um, it was a time in my life where I hadn't yet left my marriage and um, and I was sort of working through things with him, but but just talking about the future. Obviously, he wasn't digging into um, like the psych- psychology part, but just really about like what I wanted. Um, and I remember him going through this exercise with me and I like it was it like flashed in my eyes, like what I saw myself. I think it was in 15 or 20 years what I what I pictured. And it was so different from what my life was in the moment that I, uh, so I, I think it's really powerful to set out goals. Um, so maybe to side, I kind of sidestepped your question is yes, I do have them, but maybe they're not as, as concrete as they typically are. Well, what I hear what you're saying is it's almost very like pragmatic and analytical. Like you've got the awareness check super good at that you know you have a master's in psychology and then you've got the goals check and the list but I just invite you to have a look at who you're being in these moments yeah even when you're making the goals or when you're creating your Instagram content or even who you're being when you have your audacious goals in your mind and why are they audacious yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fact or perception? Megan? That's perception. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I I appreciate that, and I honestly, I, I, I that's why I think it's so important to have someone like how you said, like even coaches have coaches, is just to have someone who's a little bit further down the line. I mean, they've seen a little bit more down the road and can sort of help you navigate what's what could be to come. Um, so, no, I appreciate you running through that exercise. Um, yeah, it uh, definitely makes me feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's it's just good to like remind yourself where you're at, where you want to be and how we just have a tendency to get in our own way. <laughs> totally totally and for some people it's like totally validating it's like yeah I'm doing awesome I'm actually really happy and I feel really good right now yeah. and then other people it's like oh I've got a blind spot here and I got to give some love and attention to this piece yeah um, but the only other thing I want to say while we're being coachy coachy for a minute is that like none of this as people are listening they're like yeah I've been there done that I've done that before it's nothing is crazy profound but it's like the container of safety and confidentiality that you have with your coach when you're one-on-one on the phone like in the shit together after a bad day just have this neutral objective party to hold so much space and compassion for you that you you know I mean the relationship is different because you're paying for it but you're paying for it like this is the investment you're making in yourself so you're not using your your family or your friends this is this person is for you um so super valuable modality I don't think I'll ever live my life without a coach it has changed my life remarkably and I highly recommend it um to anyone that's interested I have a full practice but if anyone is looking for a coach at any different price point, uh, reach out to me on Instagram because I can link you with someone um, that I think, well, I'll try to match you with someone that I think would be good for you. Yeah. Um, but I, I have a huge network of awesome, awesome people. Oh, that's awesome. And and yeah, and I do think another piece that people really appreciate is the accountability. I think people, unfortunately, a lot of people need that is the check-in and to, and it, especially if it's someone that you have a relationship with and you trust, and then this person's being like, hey, like, did you do what you said you were going to do or say you were going to do? And and then either just like not wanting, whether it's not wanting to let that person down or just knowing that someone's going to be checking in, that's that 
pushes them into that state of action. I think that's really important. Totally. But even in, uh, in my time with the psychologist, which is similar to what you just said is like going there and yes, like she was being paid, but I knew she was going to be objective. She didn't like there. She didn't know my family. She didn't know the people in my life. She had no preconceived notions of who people were. And so it was so, she just had this objective, but really supportive stance, um, which I just like felt like there was no judgment in anything that I was saying to her. So I feel like that's probably really similar to what you're saying. It's like, you have this person that's holding space for you. There's no judgment. There's just someone who really wants you to be the best version of yourself. Sometimes there are uncomfortable conversations that go along with that. But, um, but I think it's really important that people do that work. And I don't think a lot of people do. Yeah. Really yeah. Frank. Totally. They don't think they need it. They don't even know what's possible for them on the other side. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for something that like really motivated me to make big changes in my life is like, I didn't want to look back when I was 60 or 70 or at the end of my life and be like, oh, like I should have done things differently. Um, So it's like, if if you, some people just like wait and wait and wait and they don't take the plunge to get a coach or they don't take it plunge to make behavior change but then and then it's like five years later and then 10 years later and then your life is gone in the blink of an eye and you are are regretting what could have been and I think that's really sad totally or it's like I'll do it when like I'll do it when the kids get older I'll do it at the next posting Um, I'll do it when I have more time Um, but all we're asking for is an hour on a phone once a week it can even be done at your lunch hour or in the evening once a week change your life it's magical what can happen in a one-hour phone call yeah yeah I agree um okay I I do want to just ask you some really quick questions um and then we'll I promise we'll wrap up I call them the quick hits uh (laughs) and it's really you don't need to elaborate unless you want to it's just like the first thing uh that sort of pops up when it when it comes into your mind what is a habit that you want to have but you haven't quite managed to form um my relationship with food is something I'm really working on mm-hmm. and that comes from scarcity mentality from growing up poor and not having a lot of food. Right. And then so you I, did that competition as well, which I'm sure, um, <laughs> I did a bodybuilding competition. It just like wrecked my relationship with food and my relationship with my body. Like, like I will never be that skinny again ever. And I've had two kids since then. So my body's changed a lot, but like, it's just so offside to like bring yourself to that point. And yeah. then I would come out of it never gonna have abs like that again like your yeah body, you look like that. your body's not your own almost. yeah exactly it's a product. Yeah. um i will just say quickly you posted a picture of you the other day and it, it's just it's actually insane how ripped you are <laughs> so you are very model-esque in that oh thanks I remember like just feeling like a skeleton and being like oh my gosh like I had a bath and like all my bones were sticking out and I was like whoa this is weird like but it's only for like two days and then you eat a donut and it's over and then it's over <laughs> uh, okay uh what advice would you give to your younger self trust the path like it. I think people are born knowing they have a knowing about them they know what they're meant for they know what they like and they know what they want to do um so I invite people to not lose sight of that what are you most proud of in your life 
oh my goodness, my kids. Oh, I love being a mom and, and my family. Like just the fact that like I had the childhood that I did and I was able to like build healthy relationships that are a healthy attachment and like know how to fight properly and like know how to like love my kids. Um, I'm really proud of that. I love my little family. They're super cute. Um, a, a book you think that everyone should read? Okay, Everything by Brene Brown. Oh, good, yeah. Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. It was about resilience. She wrote that one after her husband dropped dead of a heart attack at like 45. Oh. Um, and it's all stories of resilience. So it talks about people with like careers going down the, the drain, yeah. death, oh, loss. Oh, it's so good. Okay. I will definitely read that. Um, a podcast that you're listening to right now. Oh, I love the mom rooms. <laughs> I think it's so great. And, and I love her on, right? Yeah, I was on that one uh, back before she was super famous. She let me on. <laughs> but now she's got like a lineup of people that she like vets. Um, yeah. Really? Yeah. She was talking about it the oh. other day. Like people are always trying to get product placement with her and get oh, on the wow. podcast to sell their businesses and stuff. And her and I were just like mom friends that like connected on the internet and like just did a show about special needs parenting. Oh, which is fun but yeah the mom room is just funny and light and great and easy yeah yeah and mindset uh, on mobility yeah. <laughs> um okay the most important thing in life is love oh. um it all comes down to love what I know for sure is that you can have anything if you're willing to work for it a fork in the road for me was having cancer big fork in the road um family is that's a hard one for me because I want to say like the cliche is like family is everything but they're not like if you have a toxic family then you need to have strong boundaries and protect yourself and protect your peace um so I say family is selective family is who you choose yeah Okay, last one. Hard work means? Hard work means you will be proud of yourself at the end of the day. I like that. Um, okay, actually, yeah. I, so I will put um, a link to your um, coaching page on Instagram. Um, but is there anywhere that you would like to direct people for the best place to learn more about you? Other than calf jaw number three with the photo of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These like military photos of you, like you don't even remember they're being taken. You signed on the dotted line at recruiting that like your imagery could be used. Yeah. And then like photos of you pop up all over and they're like the worst <laughs> photos and you so have no funny. control. <laughs> I was, when I was doing it this last year, I was like, Adam, I think this is Jackie. Like I've only seen her online. I was like, this is Jackie in the photo. <laughs> He sent me the picture, like, in the big spiky helmet, like these. Oh, man. Gotta love the military. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So um, if you want to find out more about me, I'm at CoachJackiePower.com, or you can find me on Instagram at CoachJackieP. Again, I have a full practice, but if anyone is looking to be linked with a coach at different price points, um, I'd be happy to connect you. It's so awesome. Don't wait to start. Even just try it for a month and see what happens. You'll be surprised with how much your life will change. That's awesome. I like that. Don't wait. Don't wait. Um, Don't wait. Okay. So I'm going to just give you a little public thank you for doing this. Um, I've been getting better at being on time. I'm still not on time. 
the the last person I did, we went for four and a half hours. So I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to stick to an hour. But then like I said, before, before we start recording, I just ask all these questions about your life. So I'm going to stop recording and then I'm just going to, then we can have like a proper goodbye, but I just want to give you a proper thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. And I'll let you know when this goes live. Okay. So don't, don't leave me. Let me just end this. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Stop. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Um, I was super nervous to publish this because I did, I sort of had to put myself out there a little bit. And I thought a lot about why I said to Jackie that I like acknowledgement when I really don't. I received a commander's coin in front of everyone at work and it was honestly the most embarrassing thing I've ever experienced. But then I was listening to Oprah on the We Are Supported By podcast. So the, uh, it's an armchair expert podcast. And she said something that really hit home for me. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. So it went something along the lines of this. I'm, I'm going to give you what I think it was. And then I'm going to read you something from her website. So it was like what I've learned from the thousands of interviews uh, that there's this common denominator in the human experience that we all share. We all want to know that what we do and what we say and who we are matters. We want to be validated. We all want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? And do I matter? So I found something that she wrote. It was actually in 2011. And I just want to read it to you. Uh, It's on her website, Oprah.com. And it's titled, The Oprah Winfrey Show Finale. So she says, I've talked to nearly 30,000 people on this show. And all 30,000 had one thing in common. They all wanted validation. If I could reach through this television and sit on your sofa or sit on a stool in your kitchen right now, I would tell you that every single person you will ever meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? Understanding that one principle that everybody wants to be heard. Try it with your children, your husband, your wife, your boss, your friends. Validate them. I see you. I hear you. And what you say matters to me. So what can we learn from this? One, right away, I think (laughs) Jackie is so good at this. She is so good at validating other people's feelings, at making people see, feel seen and heard. But I would challenge you, like the next time you're sitting with someone or you're even if you're lucky enough to be part of a group that's sitting in on a presentation or a classroom workshop or seminar, seminar of some sort, have a look at the eyes of the people in the room, like really look at them. And I can almost guarantee you, you'll see someone that are, that are really checked in and following and engaged. And then there'll be some that have this glazed over look in their eyes, like they're completely zoned out. And those cases, I'm sure you've seen it where you can literally snap someone out of it. And they might even like jump or be startled. So it's like, can you imagine talking with someone who is completely in another world 
And then the flip side is like being present and engaged and showing the person that you're talking to that they matter and that what they're saying is important. To relate this to sports just for a minute, like thinking of being present with the game or being totally checked out. So you're on the bench waiting to get called in. Are you the person that has the glazed over eyes who maybe hasn't been paying attention? Or do you wanna be the person that is completely checked in? If you're up for a challenge, you can try to create an awareness practice to realize if and when you are the one that is glazed over and you need to snap out of it. Because really, if you can't pay attention and can't control yourself during a conversation, again, relating to sports, how do you expect to control your focus for an event? How do you expect to have authentic relationships with other people if you are unable to show up for them? So it's not just about learning to focus just for your own benefit. It's like, Showing that other people matter to you and remembering that everyone wants to be validated. Everyone wants to be seen and that you can give that to someone. And it's so easy just showing up for someone else. And like I said, Jackie has mastered this skill and I hope that you can move forward and try to implement this in your own life. So uh, that is it for now. Again, I really encourage you to go check out Jackie's website, the coachjackiepower.com. All right, until next time. Peace.